on the pod today. I'm joined. I am joined with Spencer Green, family friend, uh, all of the above, great character, human. Happy to have you on the pod today, Spence. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to pick your brain kind of about school. So you just finished you're a graduate of the University of Miami, Miami Ohio. University of Ohio. Oh, my bad. My bad. I got it wrong. Um, and I wanted to, so obviously you went to school in a very small town in Ohio, correct? Yep. Um, and so I wanted to hear about your experience there. And then also Spencer wrote, just wrote, finished his thesis on, explain your thesis to the people out there. So my thesis was about food identity in America and specifically about immigrant food identity. So cool. And how that kind of changed through the you know late 1800s all the way up to almost the present time with uh, Chinese and Mexican immigrants. So that's wild. So Spencer is a his- history major like yours truly. And so I wanted to hear about his experience in college his go deeper into his thesis and finally talk about our favorite subject, uh, food in Los Angeles. Sound good, Spence? Sounds perfect. So explain to me, I guess, take me through your experience being from Los Angeles, going to school in a place where there aren't that many Jewish people and sort of how your identity has changed, I guess, because of your experiences in college. Also, if you have any funny fraternity stories, those are always fun, like, to add. But I'll think, I'll think. Yeah. So how has, how has that experience sort of changed your, your perspective on things? Yeah, so, um, the really big thing for me going to Ohio from Los Angeles is that the entire perspective changes. Um, the environment is very different. Political leanings very different. Mm-hmm. The religious makeup of most people where I was specifically in Ohio was very different. And very quickly it forces you to change your perspective. Yeah. Otherwise you're never going to understand where people are coming from and also understand their behavior. So for you, like what has been, what is like some, uh, you always tell kind of crazy stories of defining moments that speak to where you went to college. Like I know that you and your brother and dad, like when you guys were over here a couple days ago, were laughing about like, about, you know, like the meth heads in Ohio and stuff of that nature. Like what makes being from Ohio or being from a different place other than Los Angeles like what was your experience with different people and sort of what they thought of you like in that vein yeah so in terms of the the drug stories (laughs) it's pretty funny but also kind of sad just the way that it's treated differently in Ohio from here on the one hand it's much less open it's illegal in ohio Mm -hmm. to even smoke marijuana rather than here in california where it's (laughs) a lot more legal um but the the sad part about it is that besides the actual town proper where the school is located a lot of the you know locals aren't as well off Mm -hmm. as people here in los angeles and that lends itself to some drug problems uh i remember getting emails mostly more towards when i was a freshman 
regarding the school warning us about bad batches of drugs because so crazy. yeah they just figured that it's better to warn the students than to try to get them in trouble just in case anything yeah. bad happens in terms of crazy stories <laughs> of just not understanding what's going on i mean there's so many little cultural things that you just don't think about yeah the the very big apple cider when people think apple cider here what what would you say that you think of i would be like like apple cider like warm hot um it's like uh when you what you have around the holidays like it's like delicious right which is also what you know maybe i would think about but what i didn't think about was just <laughs> oh, no. how much alcohol they put into it so they drink they... hard cider yeah so hard cider is a big thing it's not a more of a specialty kind of thing okay. that we get you know here um or at least i should say from my perspective because i guess i only just turned 21 <laughs> so you know i would never <laughs> but yeah so spencer what fraternity were you in in like at school so I was in Alpha Epsilon Pi. Oh, A Pi. Woo woo. Jewfrat. <laughs> so were most of the kids in your fraternity, were they Jewish? I would say probably 75 to 80% okay. were Jewish. It obviously fluctuates every year. See, to me, that's so interesting because you were in an environment like Brownwood School, for example. We're looking at that. We both went to Brownwood. That was in an environment where we were like every... If someone wasn't Jewish, that they were an anomaly. It was sort of a weird, not a weird thing, but like everyone was Jewish and their mom was Jewish type of thing. So being at school, did you ever face anything that felt weird to you or you heard something anti-Semitic of that sort or because you were in more of a predominantly Jewish fraternity, did it feel sort of similar to your Brownwood experience? Like thinking about that. Yeah, so on a day-to-day -day basis, it really felt similar in terms of being around Jewish people and understanding mm -hmm. Jewish issues, we'll say. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, the I'll say that the political leanings of a lot of the Jews in my fraternity were pretty different than how they are here in Los Angeles, which is... You, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But it does give off a... Uh, I don't know if I'd say very, but it does give off a different environment than it is here. Sure. Um, so that, that's the first thing. The other thing, too, though, is that besides my fraternity and involvement in Hillel and Chabad on campus, mm -hmm. the issue is, is that sometimes the school or people involved with the school wouldn't necessarily think about a Jewish issue. Even though I would say I'm not very religious, yeah. there are certain times when that does create conflicts. So last year on Yom Kippur, the school scheduled their career fair on the exact same day, mm -hmm. which for me wasn't necessarily a problem because the like that career fair was geared more towards business students. They, they have a separate one for, for um, humanities majors. Cool. Uh, but I would say probably... 65 to 70 percent of my fraternity is all in the business school which really shouldn't be that much of a surprise <laughs> and that was a problem because they were forced to pick between you know celebrating the holiday mm -hmm. or going to career fair which was very you know big on them getting opportunities totally um 
So what in the fraternity, I always love these, like, I always love asking you guys, like, what is the worst thing you've ever made a kid do as, like, when you were a brother? Like, what effed up things did you make the pledges do? Well, we tried to, we tried to keep our (laughs) hazing, we'll say, at a bare minimum, because we felt that that just wasn't worth our time. Okay. Forgetting about school-related issues. The thing is is that we're a pretty small fraternity, Mm -hmm. and we didn't want to create a big divide between, like, years. I like that. So it was... Now, that isn't to say that we have some (laughs) weird traditions. Uh, Our president happens to usually be a sophomore, so it'll be someone who just recently got uh, initiated. And we have a tradition that every Thanksgiving, the new president <laughs> no. has to eat the heart of the turkey that we <gasps> No, you do not make a kid eat the heart of a turkey. So, yes, we do. Uh, you know, that is something that of all of the, like, fucked up things I've heard fraternities do, you get the Jewish one in Ohio. The Jewish frat in Ohio makes the president eat a heart of a turkey? Yep. Wait, I have a question. Is that kosher? <laughs> just kidding that's a great question yeah, like, actually how how great would it be if it if it was the fact that like all the jews are eating turkey hearts and it's like completely not kosher yeah i actually don't think that's kosher so we shouldn't tell the rabbi yeah i know we're not telling the <laughs> hey rabbi steven leader if you're listening to my fucking podcast first thing thank you so much second thing um uh, turkey hearts are kosher we're just gonna go with that so after this spence i'm gonna ask you a little bit about your thesis we'll just i'm gonna pause it but i'll ask you a little bit about your thesis and go into some food stuff sound good sounds great cool back with spencer after the short break so i'm gonna ask spence a couple questions about his thesis that he explained at the beginning of the pod but we're gonna go a little deeper into that spencer loves food probably as much if not more than I do which is why we connect on so many levels because <laughs> we can eat together like it's someone that I uh, that knows and loves food as much as I do so Spencer tell the people who are listening the 20 listeners I have I know I looked on Spotify if you don't listen to this you're not considered a friend just so you know but tell me about your thesis what what's it about and what inspired you to write it yeah, so essentially what happened was I was in a medieval uh, Jewish history class, actually. That's sick. So it was, it, you know, tied to our Alassal thing. What happened was is I had a professor who said that, you know, Jewish people remember through food. You know, when you eat I on lo- Passover. I love that. Yeah, you, you eat on Passover, you... Like, there's so many rules surrounding food and what they mean. It's never really just arbitrary. Yeah, totally. And that really got me thinking. At the time, I was already accepted into the thesis program, but I didn't know what I was going to write about. And I was like, that's such a great jumping off point. And I started exploring connections between immigrants and when they move to new areas what do they like what kind of ideas they bring that that is so cool and one of the things that i i couldn't really get out of my head was this idea that these things that people bring with them sometimes it you know it clashes with 
who they're who they're meeting with, sure, them, right? Yeah. So like the native of the area or region that they're going towards. And I wanted to look at something that's probably a little closer to home mm-hmm. rather than in Ohio. I, I explored like a lot of different um, really interesting ideas. I don't know if you've ever heard of something called Cincinnati chili. No, I've never heard that. Yeah, so it's a chili that had Greek spices put into Ooh. it over in Cincinnati. Did the Greeks go to Ohio? Is so that... there, there, were, there was like a group of Greek uh, immigrants. And, you know, I explored doing Jewish foods because that's, you know, where the idea really originally came from. But unfortunately, the Jewish culinary culture, will say, kind of really moved through New York before yeah. I got to L.A. So I wouldn't have had as many sources at the exact time I wanted to look at. Okay. So what the project ended up looking like eventually was Chinese immigrants that came over in the late 1850s. Sure. Or not really the late 1850s, really the late 1840s. And then kind of over that 10-year span, really put down their roots. Mm -hmm. And then what came from that. And then also Mexican immigrants that were kind of moving over the border after... California had already become a state, right? So I kind of excluded the wealthier groups that were there beforehand because the way that their food merged was actually a lot different than these other migrant workers. And I think it's cooler to track how it changes by coming to America versus the people already there. I like that personally. Right. So what what I did was once I explored, okay, so what are these groups of people Mm -hmm. bringing over? What kind of... What kinds of identities are they bringing over, you know, specifically with food? Like, does it matter what kind of ingredients there are? Uh, one specific case was, did it matter that Chinese immigrants were bringing over jasmine rice versus the rice that was already here in America? And, and it really does matter because yeah. they formulate their entire ideas about the way that their food works. So I want you to teach a college class about history and food. Like, <laughs> I want to take this. Yeah, I I mean, it's fascinating. And so, you know, once they're in America, the really big issue that I focused in on was sanitation and health fears. Okay. So I split it up into two different time periods, Mm -hmm. turn of the century into the the 1900s. Right, the progressive era, all of that. Right before it. Right before it, um, okay. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of a book called uh, The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. Yeah, of course. That That's all a push, yeah. Right. Uh, so... That book really set the stage for how Americans thought about the cleanliness and sanitation yeah, of food. Of and it kind of spread throughout the entire country. So what we have is we have at the turn of the century, there's um, an incidence of plague that shows up in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. And the way that the health department handled it was very racist. It was they actually got sued and in court were determined to sure. acted upon you know racist sentiments rather than what was actually happening and you know the first part kind of handles how did how did that happen like how did americans feel about their food and the sanitation how did it end up getting to that and then the second half of the thesis kind of looks at msg and the whole scare that happened around that um and the, the Mexican food kind of comes in where I use it to compare and contrast different okay, reactions. To, to Asian right. food. So, you know, in the early 1900s, they're both being 
thought of as, you know, lesser races uh-huh. by a lot of Americans. And that causes problems where you can see that they're treating both foods poorly. But then when it, the MSG scare happens, uh, Mexican food's actually enjoying like a really successful time where you see a bunch of fast food restaurants. That's wild. Yeah, popping up. Uh, Americans are buying tons of, you know, taco shells and tortillas uh-huh. to bring home. And that, com- like, that contrast is really seen where if even once like Americans accept these these foods and these identities mm-hmm. as being American, as soon as they're kind of afraid of some sort of health issue or sanitation issue, they kind of retract back to these stereotypes that they've had. And I kind of conclude the entire thesis with this thought of, okay, well, it's 2020. We don't really know for sure yet, but before the stay-at-home orders went into place – there were some news outlets that were reporting that Chinese restaurants were really yeah, struggling I, because yeah, of yeah, coronavirus. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe maybe the data won't really show that there is mm-hmm. a difference. But if there is, then it, it you know it can really show how we as Americans can go forward looking at how we approach sanitation issues. That's so interesting, and I love how you use a top like I love how you use yes history history <laughs> combined with um food which is something like i i understand where the passion lies so hearing you talk about it makes me excited potentially to read it if you or if you're gonna have readers i i mean if you'd like to read it i'd be happy to send it over to you okay if you're on caller maddie podcast i will read your <laughs> fucking thesis um but that's awesome and i wanted to ask you i guess five restaurants i was thinking five but maybe three and just because of time and like three places in Los Angeles that are necessary to eat at. Like doesn't matter food genre, three places that you think define LA, define your food love or three places you want to try any three. That's just the big number. Yeah. So number one on my list right now of places, I will be going to this place every chance that I have. Drum roll. Bored of it is Ingo's Tasty Diner. Is that the one on uh, Wilshire? Okay. So I've been there once, liked it, didn't love it. What do I need? What do the people listening need to get? And what do I need to try when I go? So I think that their burgers are really great. Okay. Um, And it's not just the burger itself mm-hmm. it's you know how they top like what they top on it yeah. and the the burger has a lot of flavor in it i'm not going to say that it is the best burger in los angeles no but the thing that i really love about it is that every time i've gone it's after dark and i just love the ambiance of the restaurant and okay. i think it really provides like a great atmosphere for me i, I really ha- i've only gone with a few friends mm-hmm. and then my family but Every time we've gone, we've, like, had a good time, you know? I love it. And I love the – it's not even just about the food, but the ambiance of the restaurant. That's cool. Yeah. I I just – when you eat with people and you're not just making food for yourself, if you're not having a good time, why are you doing it? Why the fuck are you doing it? I agree, Spencer. Okay, number two. What's the first thing that you think of or what you're enjoying so far? Uh, I also love Stella Barra. Right, the one on Main Street. Main Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also opened up one on in Hollywood, actually, cool. that I went to. I Similar kind of vibe to it. The bar is great. Okay. 
Right. Is this the place that you and Gavin were talking about the mule that we I need to try? Yeah. So there's they have a Moscow mule. Ooh. What they call they call an Appalachian mule. Ah! Uh, it was. The, I love mules. The first drink I had once I turned twenty one. Actually, <laughs> uh, but their their salads are great. Okay. Their, their pizzas are really good. While not trying to step on the toes of like a traditional Italian <laughs> pizza, they're it's very. I, I want to say like hip modernized. Love it. And I think that's a great place to go. Love it. Okay, so we have those two. Number three, what's rounding out your list or short list for the podcast listeners? Well, during quarantine, we kind of have to take home a lot of food. And uh-huh. sometimes foods aren't going to be as good as when you could get them fresh there. Have to go with Bay Cities. Oh, it's a classic, guys. It's a classic. They, you can get them with their peppers on the side, so Ooh. it's not, you know, so soggy. it doesn't go soggy, right? And honestly, couldn't think of a really better quarantine food, to, you know, for lunch. See, I love this list that you just gave me. You gave me two restaurants that I can look forward to to go to. I've been to, I've been to both of them, but not in recent enough years. And then you gave me a third for quarantine needs. I love that list. It's perfect. Um, well, thank you for coming on the pod today, Spencer. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. We talked about Ohio. We talked about your thesis. We talked about some LA food. I mean, there's nothing more I could want out of a guest. (laughs) Yeah. Um, we're going to do a short little break. Returning from the break, I want to take you guys through some other recommendations I have of things to read during quarantine. For my friends out there who are big readers, uh, this is not going to probably be up your alley. The books I'm going to recommend are very much geared towards people that are looking for a fun read, a little bit of, you know, what I call sugar while they're tanning, um, in that sort of vein. I wanted to do this because I thought the TV recommendation section went over well last time. This can be quick. Um... So I recommend to you guys that you should be reading what I'm reading right now. I I just did the whole Crazy Rich Asians trilogy, and I'm finally on the third book now. Rich People Problems. Uh, I do not feel smarter after reading this book. Um, but what I will say is that it's fun, entertaining. The writing's, writing's pretty good, and you're just left wanting more. It's a great, like, summertime read, and then... It's after Memorial Day now, so welcome to summer. And people, you are now allowed to wear white. Even though I'm on the West Coast, I still abide by those uh, rules of society. But if you really want to know what, uh, if you really want a good book, the Crazy Rich Asians trilogy uh, looks into the Young family, and in particular Nicholas Young and his crazy rich relatives in Singapore. And the first book goes into his newfound relationship with Rachel Chu, who, I don't want to give away any spoilers, doesn't really know the extent of Nick's wealth when they go back to Singapore for the summer. It's a great read. The other two books are awesome. They're built upon what you find in the first one. And that is what I highly recommend for your quarantine read and needs. Um, thank you for listening for the to the pod for... Uh, this episode, it was interesting. Spencer was a great guest and I was glad to have him on. And 
I look forward to episode three, and I hope you guys do too. Thank you for listening to Call Her Matt.